All right, Alexander, let's do an update as to what is going on in Ukraine. And of course, we're going to start with Bakhmut and the situation in Bakhmut seems to get uh, worse for Ukraine with each passing day, each passing hour. And there are reports that uh, analysis, at least, that um, Russia is perhaps going to be widening their uh, their cauldron, or perhaps creating a cauldron within another cauldron. It, we're not saying that's a hundred percent, but there there is some thought that Russia is going to perhaps um, get, let's say, more aggressive and perhaps widen things out. We'll see. And uh, and then let's touch upon um, Schultz's trip to uh, to DC. I think that that that's going to be. Uh, an interesting meeting between uh, Schultz and Biden. They're going to discuss Ukraine. And from what I uh, gather, they're also going to be discussing sanctions on China, potential sanctions on China. So uh, I, let's start with the with on the ground. Let's talk about the situation on the ground. Now, can I just, this is a dynamic situation. I mean, I, I did a video for my own uh, channel in which I, it, I said that it seemed to me as if the Russians might be... Uh, pulling back from a bigger cauldron. I thought that you, they were going for a bigger cauldron before. I, today, it looked briefly as if they weren't. Now I've actually swung back to your view, by the way. It does look as if Russian advances are even faster and stronger than I imagined. And we're getting lots of information. And I think the first point to make is, yes, in my previous video, the previous video we did, I, I said that I wasn't completely sure about these reports that soldiers, Ukrainian soldiers in Bakhmut were basically starting to rebel and demand to be pulled out. I think we can now say with reasonable certainty that that is indeed what is happening. Um, there was a Ukrainian soldier come blogger called Magwar, by the way, that he's not Hungarian, apparently. But anyway, he, he was complaining that, you know, it was made no sense to keep him and, he, and the others in Bakhmut. And um, he made a public call about that. And one's starting to hear that more and more soldiers are echoing his words, and that this even includes some of the troops from the nationalist battalions, from IDAR and all the others, that have been... Uh, sent to this um, to, to Bakhmut to basically try and hold the line there. So it, it, it does look as if there's a you know gathering collapse of morale. I should say that after Magwar published his video statement, the Ukrainian military immediately evacuated his unit from Bakhmut. So he's he's got out, or he's getting out. I'm not quite sure whether he's actually out yet. But I, I just, we don't know what they're going to do with the others. But anyway, putting that aside, weakening resistance of Ukrainian forces. And I've just looked at some maps. The most accurate one that I've seen um, shows that the Russians have, in fact, advanced rapidly, very fast over the last couple of hours. Uh, they're now well, uh, they're now you know, literally on one of the... You know, there's two roads to the west. They're literally on one road leading into ha uh, Bakhmut from the west. And on the other one, they're just half a kilometre away. 
which probably means they'll cut the road at some point within the next hours. And when that happens, we're talk talking about a full encirclement. But when you look at the map, the, the wider picture of the map, you're quite right. It does now look as if there's more Russian forces advancing from all sorts of directions. And it does look as if they're aiming for a wider cauldron. So it, it's a critical situation. And we'll see how it evolves over the next couple of hours or days and what the Russians do and what Ukraine does. But certainly it looks very, very bad for Ukraine. And, you know, one wonders, you, you know, we, I'm not, I, we're not going to rehearse and go over the whole thing all over again. But one does wonder about the, the nature of some of the decisions that have been made in Kiev. Because, of course, if we do end up with a bigger cauldron and, you know, many more men trapped than might than looked likely even a few days ago, well, what has Ukraine achieved by all its defence of Bakhmut other than an even bigger disaster than, you know, the one it might have had if it had pulled out earlier. But, you know, we're not going to talk about that today. We've talked about that so often that I think we just, we, 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 we would be at risk of repeating ourselves. But you're absolutely right. A bigger cauldron does now look to be evolving. Well, before we move on to, to Schultz's trip to, uh, to D.C., what do you make of uh, of the fact that uh, Newsweek is reporting that Ukraine is is moving resources for an attack in the south in the Zaporozhye region? Do you do you believe those reports or or not? I do believe those reports, and I'll tell you why. Because we've heard heard so much about this. If there isn't a Ukrainian attack on Zaporozhye over the next few weeks, then frankly. Um, <laughs> it seems to me that Ukraine has essentially accepted that it's lost the war. So I think the Ukrainians probably are trying to move troops to Zaporozhye. Um, but it's increasingly looking as if um, when they do so, they're scraping things together rather than you know putting together significant forces to do it. I, I read that Newsweek article. It spoke about Zaporozhye being less well defended by the Russians. I don't know where they got, got that one from. I, I saw all those pictures some weeks ago of the defences that the Russians have created in this area. I, I have to say that, it, to me, it looks as if the Russians are determined to defend themselves in this part of the world. But, you know, who knows? But I, I, I'm going to say this. This offensive that's been talked about, it is absolute... This is... Ukraine's last throw. I mean, everybody now effectively is saying as much. If this offensive doesn't happen, or if it happens and it fails, then Ukraine has irretrievably lost the war. Because um, everywhere, everybody who's commenting about this accepts that Ukraine is being ground down in every other part of the battlefronts, and that the rates of loss are too high and that Western support for Ukraine is starting to ebb away. Even the American media is basically saying that Ukraine only has until the summer before uh, uh, the tide turns irretrievably against it. 
Even General Austin said it at Rammstein. And by the way, uh, today there's another article about another part of the battlefronts. Um, the Guardian is, for the first time, coming very close to admitting that Kupiansk, a town to the north, um, which was captured by Ukraine during its Kharkov counteroffensive, might be on the brink of, being, of, of, of falling to the Russians again. So... Ukraine is facing an operational crisis in Bakhmut. It's in, under pressure in every other part of the battlefronts. I think that some kind of offensive in Zaporozhye region has to happen. Otherwise, Ukraine might as well accept that it's lost the war and sit down and talk with the Russians and concede what the Russians demand because the war is lost. Yeah, even the... Uh... I believe the Estonian, I don't want to say the prime minister, though she did make some comments echoing what you said, but I think maybe the foreign minister of Estonia or, or someone very high up in, in the Estonian government uh, said that the only thing that can save Ukraine is NATO intervention or, or nuclear strike. I mean, that was what this person said. I, I just can't, I'm looking for the, to find out who said it, but I can't find the exact I think it was a foreign okay. minister, but I, I could be wrong of Estonia. And I anyway, right, actually. I, um, I remembered. Yeah. yeah, when you have the some <laughs> a leader in in the Baltic nations, which have been very, you know, very pro-war, uh, pro-Ukraine in, in this conflict, saying that you know not much can help Ukraine outside of a NATO intervention, then you know it's it's uh it's really bad i i just want to make a point about zaporozhye i think zaporozhye the reason they they always focus on zaporozhye is because the the narrative has always been that zaporozhye is easy to to defeat and it's going to be through zaporozhye that you're going to cut off crimea i mean that's been the dream they've been fixated on this on this attack this dream that they're going to cut through zaporozhye go down to melitopol and they're going to break the land bridge and and take crimea i mean that's that's been this fantasy battle strategy that they've had from from day one. That's why they're so fixated on it. I completely agree. By the way, I mean, I have to say, I was reading an article, I discussed it on, again on my own channel, by a man called Richard Kemp on the, in the Daily Telegraph, um, who, you know, fully supports this plan. And he was quoting General Ben Hodges, you know, ardent supporter of Ukraine, as we all know, talking about this plan. But, you know, Richard Kemp admitted Ukraine can't, doesn't have the strength to succeed in carrying this out unless it gets an awful lot more Western aid than it's getting at the moment. So that calls into question, to my mind, the entire idea of this operation. Because, I mean, you know, all that huge activity to provide tanks to Ukraine, Ukraine wanted, was it 300? They'd been promised 200. They're not going to get those 200 until, well, they won't all arrive until next year, apparently. So, I mean, you know, they're not getting the, they're not getting the tanks. They're not getting the infantry fighting vehicles. They needed, I think it was six to 700 of those. They've got about, I think, 140. So, I mean, you know, it, it, they, they're not getting enough of those. And, of course, they talked about howitzers and, you know, they needed 500. Uh, howitzers, so, uh, and I gather, I, I believe that the numbers of howitzers they've got is numbered in the tens, not the hundreds anymore, the new ones in the West. 
and we we see all the ammunition problems. So Kemp comes along and says, you know, we've got to provide much more support to Ukraine for it to succeed. But where's the support coming from, the cupboard is bare? So Ukraine is being pushed into this offensive towards Zaporozhye. This idea that, you know, this is the, you know, the... The silver bullet is going, to, is going to kill Russia, knock Russia out of the war, capture Crimea. Um, you know, it's. I think this is this is this is delusional, but, but there we go. That's no doubt what they're going to try and do, and of course, everywhere else on the battlefields, things for Ukraine are going from bad to worse. We have an operational crisis in Bakhmut. The Russians are now literally. On the doorstep of Kupiansk, um, they seem to be metres away from the outskirts of the town, not even kilometres anymore. And, you know, the situation on the battlefields looks increasingly grim, and there's more and more articles in the media that admit that. Yeah, a lot of articles are starting to admit that. So anyway, let's uh, wrap things up and talk about uh, Olaf Schultz going back to, to D.C., a little over a year from his last trip to D.C. when Biden made that incredible uh, statement about Nord Stream, that he's going to take care of Nord Stream. That was Schultz that was standing next to him. And Schultz is now back in, uh, in D.C. and they're going to coordinate their Ukraine strategy and they're going to coordinate their China sanctions strategy. What do you make of this trip? Yeah, from and the most interesting to, uh, to DC. Yeah, the most interesting thing about it is that Scholz is going going there basically by himself. Now, mostly when a German chancellor visits Washington, he goes with journalists from the German media. He goes with business people, and this time he's not going with either. And apparently, there's not even going to be a press conference. So it's going to be not I'm not a secret meeting, but a very private meeting. And they don't he doesn't want to be asked questions. And I I have to say, when that happens, when in the past you've had situations where leaders meet, but they're not prepared to discuss what they've said to each other before the media or take questions it's usually a sign that there are differences. And I think there might be on this occasion. Now, there are obvious topics that might be embarrassing for Schultz. He doesn't want to go to a press conference and be asked about Nord Stream. You know, who, who do you think blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> he doesn't want to have those kind of questions asked with Biden, the man Seymour Hersham, or the world believes was the perpetrator standing next to him. I mean, that would be a very bad look for Olaf Scholz. No doubt the media in Germany have been told under no circumstances ask those questions. So, but having said that, apparently we're not going to have the media there at all to make sure that we don't have those kind of questions asked. But I suspect there's other things too. I suspect that Biden is going to be pushing Scholz hard on sanctions against China, because this is now what's coming. And Schultz doesn't want either the media there 
all the business people because the business people will tell him, you know, Olaf, if you agree to this, then you've completely taken leave of your senses. <laughs> you, you are the mad chancellor. Germany ha cannot agree to sanctions against China. So the, you can understand why the media isn't there. You can understand that there are going to be issues and differences between Schultz and Biden. But I think the, the big problem, the big concern is going to be China and the sanctions that um, Biden is certainly going to float before Schultz over China. And I think Schultz will not want to agree to sanctions. And as I, said, I don't think he wants to be questioned about this. And I don't think he wants to be put on the spot by his own business people. You want to place uh, some bets that uh, eventually Olaf Schultz will fold to uh, sanctions with China, sanctions against China? No. I'm not. I'm not a betting man. Uh, uh, <laughs> if, if I bet bet against that, I, well, you know what they say about a fool, a fool being parted from his money. I'm. I, I'm not going to uh, be parted from my money in that way. Um, of course, he's going to agree. He always agrees to everything. He agrees to every single demand that Biden has made of him. He said he wouldn't agree to Russia being disconnected from SWIFT. He agreed to Russia being disconnected from SWIFT. He said that he wouldn't agree to sanctions on Russian energy. He agreed to sanctions on Russian energy. He said he wouldn't supply uh, military equipment to Russia. He supplied military equipment to, to Russia. He said he wouldn't give tanks to Russia, to, to Ukraine rather. He said he said he wouldn't give tanks to Ukraine. He's given tanks to Ukraine. He's going to agree to anything that's put in front of him. He'll protest. He'll complain. He'll say he won't do it, but he invariably does. And his party is draining support. It's just lost an election in Berlin which is a SPD stronghold. And, um, but he's going to go on doing it because he can't say no. And, of course, he also knows that uh, the Greens, Baerbock and Habeck, um, if he does say no, will work over time to undermine him. And it's known that he can't stand Baerbock, sorry, but he can't do anything about her, apparently. Yeah. Lavrov said in his uh, press conference at the G20, at, at a press conference after the event, the Rysina uh, conference dialogue, 2023, Lavrov said that uh, Germany was, uh, in reference to the Nord Stream sabotage, Germany was humiliated physically and um, morally. I believe he said. He's right. Absolutely. He's absolutely right. I mean, he, he, he holds the position once occupied by Bismarck and, uh, you know, other great leaders, you know, Willy Brandt, uh, uh, Conrad Adenauer, um, um, Helmut Schmidt, Helmut Kohl. But, you know, he is Mr. He is the ma he's a man of party. I mean, you know, they can just <laughs> bend him into whatever shape they want. And Germany, meanwhile, goes down the tubes. I mean, because, I mean, already it's in recession, apparently. Inflation is rising there again. You know, all the problems that we said were going to come about, they're coming about. But, of course, when Biden says, 
sanctions on China, first he'll say no, and then he'll say yes. We know he will. He always does. All right, we'll leave it there, thedoran.locals.com. We are on Rockfin as well, and go to the Duran shop, 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.